On episode 242, I'm interviewing Ann Brown, CEO of Gazelle Global Research Services. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by G3 Translate. The G3 Translate team offers unparalleled expertise in foreign language translations for market researchers and insight professionals across the globe. Not only do they speak hundreds of languages, they are fluent in probably the most difficult one, market research. For more information, please visit them at g3translate.com. Hi, I'm Jamin Brazil, and you're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. My guest today is Ann Brown, CEO of Gazelle Global Research Services. Established in 1993, Gazelle Global Research Services is a global sampling, field management, and data collection logistics company. Ann Brown has also started and recently sold G3 Translate. And thanks for being on the Happy Market Research Podcast today. Thanks for having me, Jamin. I want to rewind the clock a little bit and start with this context of, you know, your parents. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your parents, your background, and how that's informed your career. It's interesting. My my dad was a truck driver. He delivered paper in New York City many years ago. My mom worked in a doctor's office. But the interesting part about that, as it relates to me today, is that my mother loved to travel, and she would always have my dad have a trip arranged for us each year where my poor dad, who drove for a living, would have to drive us somewhere. So I think, you know, it was a busman's holiday for my poor dad. So I think that my love, yeah, my love of traveling and my, you know, my wanderlust personality comes from that time where, you know, my mom liked to go places and, you know, my poor dad had to, you know, drive all week and then on the weekends or on vacation, there he was driving some more. So, yeah, I think that's really how I got to be so interested in the international space, um, which is really my favorite part of the work that we do, has always been and still is today. So New York native, how old were you when you first visited another country? I think I was maybe 18. Okay. So so not like part of the childhood experience. Where'd you wind up going? No, 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 no. That's not true. Actually, when I was 10, we went to Canada. Um, And we, (laughs) interestingly enough, yeah, I forgot about that. Interestingly enough, we went to Quebec City and... um, I just went back a couple weeks ago, and it was really interesting. I had this thought that that the basilica there was actually in the town, but it's not in the city. It's further out, but it was really a, a great experience. So yes, I so I guess so. Ten and then eighteen was was that was that like a kind of this is international scoped work is really exciting. So how did you wind up in market research? Um, It was a fluke, really. My love of travel really was, it was always there. Mm -hmm. And I thought that a great career for me would be to work for the airlines. So I applied. Um, I decided I would be a stewardess to start out. But people were restricted by age, and I wasn't quite old enough. So I took a Mm -hmm. job until I was old enough at a company that did market research. It was called Brand Rating Index. They did media research many years ago. So yeah, that's how it started, quite by accident. I want to talk a little bit about a subject that you and I have had off the air. This goes back to the CEO Summit in Florida, I think it was this last year, where, and I can't remember how, but we were talking a little bit about our spouse, uh, representative spouses and, and your husband. He was one of the original Rough Riders. Freedom Riders. 
Freedom Riders. Freedom Riders. Yeah, excuse in the sixties. Rough Riders, not no, the not, same. No. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> definitely not. West. Yeah, yeah. So he was yeah, a Freedom Rider, totally and um, you know, it's it's just it's interesting that not very few people really know the history of you know the civil rights movement and the things that went on. I mean, now we you know John Lewis, you know, yeah, esteemed member of Congress, you know, was also a Freedom Rider. Not a lot of people really know about it, but yeah, so he was. Uh, he's still. He's still, he, unfortunately, he had a stroke a couple of years ago, hmm. uh, but he's getting better. And he still, he still speaks to young people about social justice and things like that. He has a lifelong friend that he met when they did the Freedom Rides, a uh, young, wonderful guy, wonderful man who runs a 501c charity no. here, uh, here in New York. Um, and they, they very often speak together and they, they both work for, they're on the speaking board for Facing History. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I've been doing a little bit of research as I've, you know, had my own startup going and MIT released some research from the cognitive intelligence study. And that is they found that racially diverse teams outperform non-diverse teams by over 35%. And I thought, you know, and we hear a lot about the, you know, the data and diversity, et cetera. But can you talk to us a little bit about, especially in, you know, in context of, of your culture, how has that played out practically? How are you seeing the the benefits manifest? I think that today we are, you know, my husband gets concerned that a lot of the things that they fought for in the 60s, that they are slipping back and losing some ground today. Gazelle is a woman-owned company, so uh, we have a diversity classification. And I, you know, I've been working just for a long time. I have a very, very, very strong admiration for WIRE. And so I've just been promoting that and thinking about women in the business. And, you know, it, it, it's just amazing to me that today of the Fortune 500, there are about 20, I think there are about 24 female CEOs in the Fortune 500. If you look at the landscape of African-Americans in the Fortune 500, I think there's less than a handful, maybe three, four, something like that. Um, and I just, you know, we, we hear this, that you know, the diverse boards, diverse teams, the teams are so much richer, the the content and the, the productivity is so much richer. But I don't really see that it's in real life. I really don't see that it's that it's happening. I mean, it's better than it used to be. But I just think that it's still a difficult time. I just, I think that, you know, there's a lot of smoke about bringing women onto boards. And I think that that's really gotten much better. I think there's, in the Fortune 500, I think there's about 145 companies that have boards that are 40% diverse, um, 40 or more percent diverse. But I, I think that's a little bit of a smokescreen, you know, so get some diversity on the board and then we won't have to have diversity at the highest levels of the corporation. I just think that, you know, we need to be doing more. There's a lot more to be done. I mean, We've come a ways, but I think we just have a lot more to do, a lot further to go. Yeah, I was, I was, I was having a dinner conversation. It was a group of us uh, from in the market research space, and it was a room. It was a table full of guys, and I can't remember how many people. It was around ten to twelve, and two women. One of them is Anne Beal. The uh, ladies actually got in this. I thought it was so interesting a debate. Uh, you know, civil, of course, debate on, you know, if you, should you actively promote diversity over qualification? And I thought that was super interesting that they were, you know, they were having that 
that conversation. The mm-hmm. um, and you know, and Anne's Anne's point of view, Anne Beale, excuse me, um, her point of view, which I actually strongly agree with, is that you will be better off if you prioritize based on the diversity as opposed to the qualification. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can, you know, just hire anybody to fill a seat, and I'm not suggesting you do it for diversity's sake. What I've found to be very interesting, uh, especially in the context of like starting a new venture where there's only, there's me plus three, you know, it it is really easy to surround yourself with people like you, but if you can get that alternative point of view, then and have the humility to be you know truthful about it like you know okay i disagree with that but now i understand why and that, that's a really good point then all of a sudden it can you know open up a, a much greater opportunity for you inside of the market whether it's just gosh i didn't see that which has happened more than a couple times and uh in the last couple months for me or you know them being able to connect with other with groups so, so, you know, increasing the overall sort of market accessibility piece, I think is interesting too. So anyway, I, I agree that with your thesis that there's a lot of work still to be done. I feel like in our industry though, you know, we are making strides to your point. We're not there yet, but like wire, you know, when it started, when Kristen started wire back in the decipher days, um, you know, it was you know, that was a, I remember we had yeah. a, like a $60,000 loss our first year because we couldn't get any sponsorships. You know what I mean? And now it's definitely improved from a, I don't know what the books look like now. And it's not like it's a nonprofit for crying out loud. But the point is that, you know, it is definitely a trending. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of, uh, you see it everywhere. Yeah, it's so exciting. So it feels like the conversations are elevating. But to your point, like the feet on the ground need to also um, accelerate. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, the point that you made earlier about it's so easy to pick someone who's like you, you know, when you're when you're mm. interviewing people. I mean, I think that's the thing that happens. You know, people are so comfortable with people who are like themselves. So you're sitting down in a, yep. in a you know, you have a, having a conversation with someone in an interview or you meet someone. Some, it, it's just so much. It's so easy. And I think that's, you know, part of part of what goes on that you it's, it's just a, com- a feeling of comfort that you have with someone who's like yourself. So, you know, think about boards, think about, you know, the, the highest levels of corporations. And you see that so often the people resemble one another because they feel like it'll be easier to communicate with them and have like thoughts and, I don't know, make decisions easier, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, it's even down to like nomenclature, right? So this... This whole premise of like produces or like attracts like is actually something I really agree with. Where you know people that are similar attract yes. each other. And that's, that's, I'm not suggesting that's like that's like bad, but it goes it goes to the point that we have to be very intentional about our hiring practices and our staff, especially at the executive level, uh, ensuring. And you know your point about we as an industry actually not at the executive level, but the rest of the rungs, we have a fair amount of female. I don't know exactly what the percentages are, but I haven't seen that statistic, but it feels like it's a lot to me. Not like overwhelming, but you know, there's still representation there as opposed to African-American, mm-hmm. for example, which is almost almost zero, at least at the conferences exactly. that I attend. You know, and then it becomes a question of like, how do we facilitate that? Like, how do we pull in and support this 
missing piece inside of our ecosystem. Have you thought about that? Like, is there a solution or a, not a silver bullet, but um, is there some action that we could start employing? I'm wondering about what happens at the level of education. For instance, you know, the mm -hmm. University of Georgia has a, a school, a market research yeah. school. And I'm just wondering, you know, how, if the appeal, I mean, I, I'm just wondering how, how we can promote our industry, make it more appealing to people starting out. I think perhaps there is a, a lack of understanding of our industry, but I also think that today there's a, there are a lot of exciting things happening in our industry so that we can attract people from all kinds of cultures. There's a lot of innovation. There's a lot of technology, a lot of innovation, a lot of exciting things that are happening. If you go to a, you know, when you go to IIEX, it, it, for instance, I was there, Texas earlier this year. I just thought it was really, really interesting to see all of the different, you know, so much new technology, so much innovation on exhibit there. And I think that if we could attract young people at the, the time when they're in school, I think we can get a, a better handle on this. When you have, you know, so we'll give a shout out to James at Pilotly. I don't know if you know him or familiar with Pilotly. It's pilot.ly. Um, they've got a video plat. He's got a video platform and solution. It's actually pretty cool. I met him for the very first time at IAX and, you know, he's African-American. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. <laughs> it's so exciting, right? So the, you, you are getting some level of interest, but I, I think you're right. We have to solve this problem upstream. And whether it's Georgia or Michigan, or Michigan State, too, you know, yes. another, mm -hmm. up, yeah. Um, but I mean, even down to like, how can we help in, infect change inside at the high school level to help inform people of these opportunities and our industry? Which is, I mean, honestly, it's 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 a trending industry now. But you know, nobody knows what market research is still in the, in the from a mass perspective. No. Yeah. It's it's a tiny it's small and people don't understand what we do. If you try to tell someone what you, what you do, it's what you know. Are you the people that bother me on the phone? Yeah, or, my mom still is like, stop bothering think, me. Yeah, yeah. I think that we need to do better at promoting our industry to young people. I mean, if you think about all of the, I mean, this is another thing that I, that's. I think this is the craziest week that we've had in terms of the uh, M and A mm -hmm. uh, in our industry. But I mean, if you if you pay attention to what's going on it there's a lot of money being poured into our space yep so i just think that there's a future here and if, yeah, for young people they should you know we need to to somehow attract them in a better way yeah no i completely agree with that I, and i anyways yeah we could talk about that in nauseam i have some ideas on like at a high school level but i think you're right like the tactic needs to be you know, pushed inside of the colleges and then, you know, let the colleges who are doing the recruiting help out, obviously, at the connecting into the high school side. But that's probably say, better safe for a different show. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about market research. So you've been in the industry a, a while. Yeah, it's our 25th year, you know, we celebrate our 25th anniversary. So can right. you imagine? And, and so your 25th year, you start, so I forget what year you started G3 Translate. That was... We started 2004? in 2006. Six. Six. 2006. So 2006. And then you recently sold it. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Did. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah it was very exciting. That is, and that wonderful is thing for, a wonderful thing for the team and for the company as well. Because of some of the things that we've talked about, you know, the great opportunity that the team has being a part of the TransPerfect 
corporation, the, the technology, the, the size, the technology, the room for growth. It, it's just going to be a wonderful thing for the team. So it's a very exciting time for them. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you are seeing a lot more technology enabled translation. So I think mm-hmm. to that end, it's going to be great. I do want to give a shout out to G3. You guys have been a huge partner of the Happy Market Research podcast by uh, doing the transcripts of now 173 shows. Wow. Yeah. So that's a lot of words. For yeah, and a, sh- those shout out, that, a shout out to John and Nancy, you know, who yeah, made absolutely. this happen all these years, you know, that, yeah. that built this business from the ground up from one, you know, where they were in one office when they started one little room. Um, and now yep. we share a floor here and, you know, they, a, a, just a great shout out to them for the magnificent work that they've done all these years and, you know, for putting themselves in a position where they were attractive. So it's, you know, it's, it's a good thing. It's all good. Yeah, that's great. That's great news. I assume they're both staying with the company. They are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Industry kind of vets. So I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. Especially Nancy, I, I see her everywhere. Uh-huh. So yeah. funny. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's going right, to so, be good for all of them. So one, thank you for the support. But two, congratulations on the exit. Thank but, you. you know, with, with the amount of time that you've been in the industry, what is your kind of favorite or what project are you most proud of? My favorite part of the business that we do is, is definitely the international work that, you know, it started in the mid 90s when we actually worked. It was a it was a very, very interesting time. We worked in Brazil for several years. Uh, we ended, we had a small office there and we did a very, very, very large project over the years that we were there. We ended up doing an audit in Brazil for a beverage company. We started it, we ramped it up and we gave it back to them. So we were doing, when it was in its heyday, we did 9,000 interviews on foot, counting 400 SKUs by hand. And then we, yeah. So it was a very exciting time. Wow. (laughs) No email, no, you know, no email, no, you know, click and all close the file. It was fax machine. It's all about fax machine and and, uh, tickets, right? Yeah, it was crazy. So, um, and that, you know, that gave us just the, the feeling that there really isn't anything that we can't do in terms of international field work. So, you know, we worked in the Istans when they first started up. We worked, you know, almost everywhere, China, Japan, Thailand, Philippines, Mm. you know, all of Europe, Africa, Argentina, Venezuela. What is one of the biggest challenges that faces companies when they're thinking about doing work internationally or research specifically internationally? I think the the biggest hurdle is... I think you have to, we, we as Americans tend to think that because we do something one way, um, that's the way it's done. So I think one of the hurdles is that you just have to listen to what the culture is in the place that you're working and understand that it might not be exactly the way you think it's done here. It might be done in a different way. You're going to ask questions perhaps in a slightly different way. Just being open to the fact that you're in a culture that's different from yours and embracing that culture because that's what we do. Right. So that I think that's the biggest hurdle that companies. And then I think, you know, then it's just um, experience, understanding how the bidding process, you know, making sure that you have multiple bids, 
that kind of thing, just to make sure that people understand what it is that you're asking for. Would you say that's one of the harder projects that you've ever done? Yes, I would say that. As you fast forward to it in a, in a digital context, obviously a lot of things are automated now, like you're not hand logging SKUs, but are you, are you seeing like the, the technology improvements that are happening inside of the industry? So I'm not talking about email, <laughs> uh, but like whether it's, I don't want to actually name specific brands, but you get the point, like these research enabling platforms. Are, are, you, are you seeing them adding a lot of value to the work that you are doing as a logistics company? Sure. Um, I, you know, I think that, that it, it's... And you, you can name brands, by the way. I just didn't want to. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the platforms that we use now are amazing. It's, it's, it's wonderful to, to come from a time when I started in the industry, you know, not... I, I, I'm old Yank. You know, I started at Yankelovich, so... Um, mm. when I was at Yankelovich and everything was on BM cards at the time. Yeah. Punch cards. You know, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's wonderful to just, I mean, when I started, if you didn't have a banner for a table, you wouldn't be running that job for a couple of days because there was no, right. you, you had to wait for some, a messenger to deliver it and the messenger had to deliver it back. So, you know, it, it was just a crazy time, but now technology has just made everything easier and things can happen quicker. It's wonderful. What are you seeing? Like, if you look forward, is there specific technologies, if any, that you're like, gosh, you know, that's going to be, that could be interesting to the work that you're, that you're doing at Gazelle Global? Or um, obviously, you know, blockchain is something that we talked about moments ago. Are you seeing any kind of like pending technology improvements that are happening? Or are you thinking it's just going to be continual to be incremental in uh, uh, improvements? I don't know. I, I think there, it's going to, we're going to continue to have improvements. I think that, you know, some of the video, the ability to, mm. to put video into right. respondents data is very yep. exciting today. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's all going to continue. You know, when we talked about blockchain, I, I, I kind of think that, or I wish that we, we paid respondents better for what they give us. That's, that's just something that I right. think about from time to time, you know, when online interviewing has just really, I, I just wish we respected the respondent a little bit more. I mean, look at the difference between a, a, a qual respondent and a quant respondent. It's just, they're not really compensated in a way that I think is fair. So I wish we had, would, were able to change that in some way. It is interesting, the value exchange that happens. And I think that's part of the equation that we're forgetting about is we treat quant as a quant respondents as commodity right? Versus qualitative. So you, it's a lot harder to, I mean, when, when you're doing an in-depth interview or focus group or whatever, right? It's, it's hard to fraudulently, you could do it, but it's not easy. Whereas, you know, on a survey, if I'm getting paid 25 cents and it's going to take me 18 minutes or whatever it is, a dollar, right? It's a lot, to your point, I don't feel that obligation to deliver um, like I d would if I'm doing a, um, you know, I'm doing a, some sort of qualitative exercise that is compensating me for the 18 minutes, whether it was three mm -hmm. to five dollars. I mean, I th we've made it. We've made it just yeah. a, a button business, you know. It, it, it I, I don't know. I, that, that that disturbs me. Um, one of the, it's one of the things that disturbs me is that mm -hmm. we don't really compensate respondents properly for their time. And I, you know, I think it's part of the reason why, you know, we have this whole industry of cheaters that has, you know, arisen because set something up that's yeah. 
just not really fair. A push button industry. That's super interesting uh, framework. You know, Tia Maurer, and I have referenced her talk at MRMW in Cincinnati earlier this year, a couple of times already on the show, and I'll probably continue to do so. I thought it was one of the more insightful, and she's a, a research scientist. She's a group scientist, excuse me, at Procter & Gamble, a senior group scientist, so kind of a big deal. And her framework is this is one of, this is actually the biggest problem that is facing us right now because the quality of sample is the tail that wags the dog of insights. So, you know, we've got to, even though it's a small proportion of the budget, it's not the but part of the budget that we should be skimping on. Um, and, I, and I think to your point about what is the equitable amount of compensation is actually a good starting place for a respondent. In qualitative, we have to do that, right? You, you can't get somebody to give you 30 minutes of their time unless there is something in it for them that is material. Starbucks cards or what, you know what I'm saying? Like something. But, you know, qual- quantitative, we have seemed to think it's okay to offer a lot less. I'm not picking on the, the, the industry per se, but I am saying, agreeing with you. I think, do think it is a material problem. Mm-hmm. I think it is. I mean, we, you know, if you're if you're doing work in the mall, people get a better incentive than right. They do if the and that's quant. You know, it's it, it's just we've just set something up that's. I I just think it begs problems, and you know, it was it was better when we didn't pay people so little. Yeah. Do you think there's a role for in mall intercepts? Kind of a resurgent opportunity there. No, because while everybody's <laughs> nobody's no, in malls. No, because while everybody says that they, you know, everybody says that they want to, that as you said, you know, the tail wagging the dog. But when it comes down to buying, they just want the lowest price. So, you know, prices, prices is, is the is what determines king. Yeah, it is. It, and so, no matter what you say about having, you know, I, we talk a good game, but really, when it comes down to it, price is what matters. Yeah, I mean, the GRIT report was interesting in the last, I don't know if you had a chance to peruse it, but uh, it's basically the three-legged stool that we've all grown up with, which is better, faster, cheaper. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, so you still see tremendous pressure as it relates with cost. And so then I think, you know, you kind of reduce it down to your point on like, where is the cost efficiency actually gained? And just because it can be gained there, should it, is it good for the research is really the question that we need to be asking as an industry. And I honestly think that brands are at a spot now where if there was transparency on the quality differences, they'd be willing to, like if there was a Yelp at a respondent level equivalent, that would be something that a brand, you know, oh, I'm going to go with a five star as opposed to, you know, the two star respondents, um, <laughs> you know, something like that could be relatively disruptive and help justify, because right now it's just met with words. And you have some data, but it's still abstract as it relates with the cost, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a good yeah. idea. There you go. There, I mean, yeah, let's do that. I think, I no, think we're just kidding. I think we're, <laughs> you know, I think we're all, we all have a concern about the quality of, of the data that we provide. I mean, we're, we go through hoops here now, looking at open ends now. When they come in, you have to. You just, you just, you have to. Yeah. It's because we've gotten this, I, I don't know. I mean, we're talking this to death here, but. Yeah. Yeah, we are. <laughs> but you're right. It's an yeah. issue. So kind of with the other side of the coin are brands. So what are, you know, market research, as you've already pointed out, is getting a huge 
uh, is in an inflection point right now with respect to the amount of attention it's getting from private equity and and uh, you know brands, SAP's acquisition in the space, and I'm sure those are going to be other brands that are going to be whether it's Salesforce or Adobe or others that are going to be entering in uh, as well. You know, what is the role of insights in a modern brand, and how has that changed in the last five years? I'm not so sure that you know I'm the one to ask about this. I mean, my my, my, I'm just still reeling from the goings on this week, you know, that, you know, what are they talking about? So in context this week, yeah, this week is what we had. We Dynata. The Dynata, Reuters is saying that Dynata might be up for sale for 3 billion with a B. You know, a few weeks ago, yeah. a few months ago, years ago, a couple of years ago, we had the Qualtrics 8 billion with a B. Yeah. That was September of last year. Yeah. We had Cantar being sold, 60% of Cantar being sold for who knows what, a huge amount of money. And then we have, mm-hmm. you know, the, the notice that the Schlesinger family has taken on private equity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, this, this was a little bit to my point earlier that, you know, there's so much money coming into our space now that we should be attracting more young people into this industry because it's a very, seems to be a very vital, exciting place to be in right now. The reality is that the customer, the brands are finally aware that the customer's in charge. Mm-hmm. And so to that end... You know, putting the customer in the middle of the conversations is is probably the most important initiative that any company is going to do. Long gone are the days of sort of, you know, build this big product in a waterfall format and not talk to any customers. Now it's like, you know, A-B test it to death, incorporate customer interviews every step of the way, you know, consumer insight, consumer insight, consumer insight. I think it's a, I've heard a couple of different people frame it as like one of the KPIs in companies of if it is it a good product or a bad product is how many times do we reference the customer voice through the process so like that is a, KP, a real kpi that some organizations are mm-hmm. using actually I, uh, so it's definitely i actually heard a, a talk about that i think it was it was a clothing brand i think it might have been gap but anyway it was really mm. interesting about how they that the entire way through their process of you know doing some rebranding and changing the bit of their image. They had the customer there the whole time. It was just, everything was about the customer and what the customers were thinking and how they felt. And yeah. I mean, it's a good time for us as an industry, not only because of, you know, for selfishly, because people are paying attention, but, you know, we are by nature empathetic. And therefore, I believe we are the right people to help organizations learn empathy and employ that in their decision-making process. We are that. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we talk about it. We ask questions. You know, we're, we're constantly probing. We're looking for insights. You know, that, that's what we do for a living. So, What is the biggest issue that's facing market researchers today? I think, we've, I think we've talked about it. I think the biggest issue is the quality of the product that we uh, provide. I think that everybody's talking about it. Hmm. It's up there for everybody to talk about, and everybody is talking about it. You know, the, the issue of sample. And I, I yeah. think that, you know, we really have to be on our guard to be sure that we're providing the, the best quality. Because, you know, it's what we've always been trying to do. It's just now a matter of staying ahead of the, you know, staying ahead of the curve of, uh, you know, people who have the ability to scam the system. So, see, I was selling, so I've been selling sample my whole mm-hmm. career or buying it, one of those two. And when I started to cipher, um, you know, of course, customers wanted me to procure sample for them. So I did that. And then I subsequently wound up with this really nice, you know, sample companies liked me. How's that? 
one of the big competitors I had was a company called eRewards, which differentiated themselves in those days based on the sourcing of their panelists uh, and incentive structure as well. That, that company has now turned into Dynata. They would sell their sample to my customers for as much as a 5X on top of what I was trying to char charge. So like they were that much more expensive. And this is before mm -hmm. the, you know, three and $4 CPIs. And I was really frustrated because my customers were buying it. In other words, they were paying the premium or material premium uh, over what I was charging because of the quality narrative. So like, I don't, I, I hear what you're saying. And I agree that, I mean, I've heard it literally from every guest I've talked to on this subject, but I just have to believe that, that I've seen it play out once and, I don't think it was a fluke. I think, you know, they, they actually proved that the market had some uh, willingness to pay more for a higher quality if the story could be adequately built around that. And I think that's part of the missing equation right now is I haven't really heard, and I'm sure it exists, but I just haven't really heard that story told in a way that, you know, really resonates. Yeah, resonates with, with obviously with me. I don't know. Do you, do you remember the days of the e-rewards? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So they were, they were really expensive. Mm-hmm. Sample was expensive, <laughs> but I felt, right. I, I just felt like it was worth it. I felt like we yeah. should be, we should be paying, just what I said earlier, I think we should be yeah. paying people a fair price for their time. You know, whatever that is. Is it a Starbucks card? It certainly should be more than a quarter. I mean, really? <laughs> you know, it, it, I just think that's, it's a crazy thing. And, you know, granted, you know, it's not an hour long interview, you know, or a 90 minute interview, at, you know, that you might have for a, a, a qual situation, but quant's not just five minutes or 10 minutes. Right. It's a lot longer than that. Um, segmentation studies have been put online. They're still online and they're long. Right. You know, people are being yep. asked to spend 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, you know, by the time they get, 20 minutes done, you know, you're complaining that they're straight lining. Well, they're tired, you know, and, and what are you going right. to give them for that? It's, I just think that we should change it. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be changed, but I think that things would be better if it was changed. All right. My last question, what is your motto? I don't really have a motto, but the one that I think is, is the best for all of us is stay calm and carry on. You know, the queen's motto. I think yeah, I that's the best one. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I think that should be the sort of the motto, quote unquote, of, of all of our companies is trustworthiness. I think mm. that's the biggest thing that people have to trust you. You know, you can't, mm -hmm. you can't have a business today. You can't run a business unless your clients trust you. You know, that's the whole thing. You have to provide trust. People have to be honest. I think honesty and trustworthiness are the, you know, should be, they, they're the, that's what makes up a, a company today that people are going to be willing to give their business to. So my guest today has been Anne Brown, CEO of Gazelle Global Research Services. Anne, thank you so much for being on the Happy Market Research Podcast. Hey, thanks, Jamin, for having me. And thank you for all the support, Anne, that you've given us, Nancy and John as well, of course, through the, through the year now. Uh, we're almost coming up on our one year uh, for Happy Market Research Podcast. We really appreciate it. Great. I'm glad that they were there for you. Everyone else, please take the time to screen capture, share this episode. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. It means the world to me. And your reviews actually make a big difference in other Insight Pros being able to find content like this. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.
This episode is sponsored by G3 Translate. The G3 Translate team offers unparalleled expertise in foreign language translations for market researchers and insight professionals across the globe. Not only do they speak hundreds of languages, they are fluent in probably the most difficult one, market research. For more information, please visit them at g3translate.com.